Hello, everyone, and welcome. My name is Jana Panaritis, and you're listening to the AgeWise podcast, where we give you strategies for aging well and wisely. And how do you do that when on top of struggling to meet the demands of your own life, you're also caring for an aging parent or a spouse, or maybe you're caring for another member of your family? Well, we're here to help. Each week, we'll hear from the experts, professionals in the field of aging, and people like you, unsung heroes rising to the occasion of caring for a loved one and finding unexpected rewards along the way. So stick around for some straight talk on aging in all its unpredictable glory. For a lot of people, Palm Beach County, Florida, will forever be associated with the post-election fiasco of the 2000 presidential race between Al Gore and George Bush, an election in which Americans learned all about hanging chads, and the presidency was ultimately decided by the Supreme Court. But here are a few other noteworthy facts about Palm Beach County, which, for those who don't know, is located about 65 miles north of Miami on the Atlantic side of the state. Palm Beach County is the third most populous county in Florida, with an estimated 1.4 million people. Of that amount, nearly 23% is age 65 or older. My guest today is someone who's been working on their behalf, and in fact, for all the residents of Palm Beach County, for the past 15 years. Since 2001, Todd Bonlaren has been the Director of Legislative Affairs for Palm Beach County, lobbying on behalf of the county's interests in both Tallahassee and Washington. Todd has also served as executive director of the Palm Beach County Legislative Delegation, and in 2008, he was recognized as County Person of the Year by the Palm Beach County League of Cities. And now he's about to start a new position, having just been named one of three new assistant county administrators. Todd joins us today from the county seat, West Palm Beach, Florida. Todd, welcome to the podcast. It's great to have you here. Thank you very much. I appreciate you letting me spend a little bit of time with you and sharing some insight about what's going on in Palm Beach County. And again, congrats on your new position. That's a really big deal. You've been in Florida politics for a long time, but you're not from Florida originally. Can you tell us a little bit about your background and what brought you to Florida? Well, uh, you know, actually, I like a lot of people in Florida, I was born in New York, but I moved down here at a very young age. So I'm really, you know, almost a Florida native. I, I grew up in Miami from the time I was a year old and went to elementary school, high school, junior high school in South Florida and really enjoyed my time growing up down there. It was a beautiful place. It's a vibrant place. And I uh, went to the University of Florida for uh, for um, school in college, and then eventually on to Tallahassee and Florida State University, where I I got my master's degree. So my roots definitely have been in Florida throughout the entire state. And I've I've really always felt like this was my home. And and this is where I want to continue to grow old. And I know that you have some caregiving experience in your background, since that's what we talk about on this show, in part. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Well, you know, I was one of those people that is a lot like a lot of other folks and and grew up in a multi-generational household at one time, four generations, Um, great, great grandparent, grandparents, mom and me. But for the better part of my life growing up, you know, in a three generation household and my grandparents were a really important part of my upbringing, important part of my life. 
you know, without them and their support, you know, my mother and I would have struggled and life would have been a little bit different uh, for sure. So, you know, they, they provided the glue throughout my upbringing and you know, a lot of the values that I learned, a lot of the way that I interact with people and think of them, that my work ethic, you know, those all come from those times being around my grandmother and my grandfather. And really part of the reason why I'm in Palm Beach County and I have been here was that when I graduated from high school, my grandparents sold our home in Miami. My mother stayed down in South Florida and Miami. They moved to Palm Beach and Palm Beach County became my, my new home and my home as I was in college and beyond. And so as they got older, it was clearly a place that I wanted to be closer to so that I could help provide to them just a small fraction of what they were able to provide for me throughout my younger years. Mm-hmm. And when you say provide for them, do you, did you contribute to their care, their health care as they got older? What was your involvement in their lives? Yeah, I mean, you know, my involvement in their lives was, you know, being with them as, as much as I could. And my job, obviously, you know, I traveled quite extensively, mm-hmm. um, both as executive director of the legislative delegation and in the legislative affairs. But, you know, was close enough to them that, you know, could be with them when they needed me, could take them places I needed to go. And my grandmother sort of had great care because she had the family unit. And my grandfather really stepped up and became a day-to-day caretaker to her, which was interesting because, you know, it was a complete role reversal. Mm -hmm. She was the part of the family that, you know, took care of everybody. I mean, she had a special place in her heart for all of us and would do, you know, anything for any individual in the family. And so when the time came that my grandfather was sort of put in that caretaker role, it was different, but he obviously stepped up and just took care of her as as well as anybody could ask. Uh, But as my grandfather got older, he wanted to, and we wanted him to allow him to age in place. Mm -hmm. And obviously it's, it's hard for for older adults when, you know, you get into those times and you lose a spouse and you're independent and on your own for the first time in your life. But he was a strong guy and he wanted to do it. And so myself, my mom, we needed to be there for him as much as we could. And fortunately, he was able to to age in place at his home and do that pretty close to, you know, his final days. So, you know, we were very grateful that, that that happened. But it was difficult. I mean, he couldn't drive. And in his last years, his eyes were getting bad. He mm-hmm. had macular degeneration. And so, you know, once you can't see, you take that independence away from, you know, an older adult from driving or anybody changes your life a lot. I mean, you know, going to the grocery store and the doctor or just running routine errands sometimes can become an almost an all-day affair. So being with him for for those opportunities, providing some of the, you know, social relief that he needed, getting him out, getting him to places where he needed to go, those were the things that we tried to do to take care of him as best as we can as he got older. Mm -hmm. And did your grandmother, was she able to stay in the house until her death? She was. I mean, she was able to stay there until her last week or two when, when she ultimately was admitted into hospice. But ultimately, you know, she came back to the the house Mm -hmm. from there and she was able to be in the home until her last breath, which I think was important to her, to my grandfather and and to us. And to be able to have that opportunity for an older adult to do that is so important to their independence and so important to their mind frame, to their level of comfortability. 
And so it just is something that you try to encourage. You, it, you can't do it in every situation, but when you can, I think it's something that's important um, to people as they age. Mm-hmm. Did your grandfather have people coming into the house, health aides? Yeah, he did. And you know, we had assistants that would come in and spend time with him during the day. I think, you know, one of his most important home health aides uh, was his dog. And when, when my grandmother passed away, I remember my grandpa coming to us and saying, hey, I'm going to get a dog. And we're like, okay, that's that's good. I mean, that's nice to have somebody as a companion in there. And really, you know, his dog became his best friend. I mean, Maggie was like hmm. my grandfather's constant companion. Mm-hmm. They were with each other almost 24 hours a day. And even when you would go to, like, take my grandfather out to eat or an errand, you know, you had to make sure that it was usually within an hour time frame because otherwise he'd get a bit antsy about oh. leaving Maggie home alone <laughs> for, t- for too long. And uh, and Maggie was, you know, my grandfather's, I mean, he, he referred to her as my best friend. And oh. so it's, there is something to say about when people tell you that, you know, dog is man's best friend. <laughs> mm-hmm. And fortunately for me, Maggie is still with us today. Yeah. Maggie since become, you know, my dog and uh, she's getting older too. But, you know, she's as much a part of the family as as my grandmother and my grandfather and me and my mom. And having her around is great, too, because, you know, it's still a piece of my grandfather yeah. that is with me. Mm-hmm. And so I've always, you know, whenever time I look at Maggie and I think about how great of a companion that she was to him, it just makes me feel good that he's still a little piece of him is still with us. Mm-hmm. And when did he pass? Uh, he passed away almost five years ago, a little uh-huh. five about five years ago. Uh-huh. So Maggie is over 14 years old now. Wow. And, uh, and she was there with, with my grandfather for, you know, about nine years uh-huh. uh, his life after my grandmother passed away. So, uh-huh. And I really do think that that helped him out tremendously. I mean, it gave him a lot of day-to-day dignity and purpose. I mean, he had somebody to, that, you know, he took care of, that he looked forward to getting up every day to be with, um, you know, they were best buds. And so, you know, that that's a, not just emotionally good, it's therapeutic, it's mentally important for somebody. And, and Maggie was a real, you know, trooper and a real saver to him, I think, just kind of going forward and giving him a lot of purpose in his, in his older days and, and something to look forward to every day. Mm-hmm. And did he die of natural causes? He did. He and, did. and how old was he? Uh, he was 88 years old when he passed away. Uh-huh. Gosh. So he, he literally worked out every single day in the gym until his last couple of weeks. When wow. He really couldn't anymore. So, uh-huh. And <clears throat> my grandfather was my first workout partner when I was in junior <laughs> high school. Wow. I started, he used to take me to the, I remember Jack LaLanne Fitness. <laughs> he used to take me to Jack LaLanne Fitness with him and, and then it eventually morphed into a bunch of different companies. But he was my original workout partner. And it's funny when I'm in the gym working out all the time, people ask me about, you know, sometimes how long I've been working out. And I was like, since my grandfather started taking me to the gym. <laughs> and, and he was a great guy in good shape and, you know, healthy and until the end and died probably the way that most people would like to. Wow, that is a blessing. So how do you think your caregiving experience affected the way that you lobby on behalf of older adults in Palm Beach County, if at all? Well, you know, obviously the experiences that I had with my grandparents, and particularly my grandparents' friends too, mm-hmm. just when you're younger and 
you're around your family and your family friends, you know, a lot of times it's you, your parents, and your parents' friends. You know, in this case, you know, my grandparents' friends were, were, were there more often. They were obviously older than, you know, my mother. And, and so, you know, I was introduced to an older population of people from a very young age who mm-hmm. became incredibly influential and who I was there for in the end for them as well. You know, most of my grandparents' best friends have passed away, but their grandkids and I remain friends and those memories are there and I was there with them until the end as well. So it had a profound impact, you know, on me and still does. And so from my perspective, you know, anytime that you can continue to provide the support and the dignity and respect that older adults need, require and deserve, to me, I don't have to look too far in my history to understand, you know, why I feel that way. Mm-hmm. And so it, it definitely pushes you a little bit more to <clears throat> when I see folks that, you know, are older, older adults, I just kind of just think about my grandparents and um, how important they were to me and how important these people were to, you know, somebody else in their in their life. And it just it just keeps you motivated. Mm-hmm. Well, Florida has the nation's highest percentage of residents aged 65 and older. And so the state is in many ways a microcosm of issues of concern to all of older, older Americans. That said, uh, Florida lawmakers just approved an $82 billion budget for the coming fiscal year. And the governor has said that he plans to veto a significant portion of that amount. Um, you've been quoted as saying that, you know, it's a give and take process sort of thing. Can you talk about some of the wins that older Floridians saw in the 2016 legislative session, and specifically for those in Palm Beach County. Yeah, well, you know, you're right. I mean, this session in Tallahassee was a lot different than last year. I mean, last year was a very contentious year between the Florida House and the Florida Senate. You had basically a session that ended up in just a real breakdown. And what happened was really the overriding issue was the expansion of, of Medicaid mm-hmm. uh, that you know eventually kind of put a dagger between the two chambers and caused them to end a few days in advance. They they adjourned without finishing the budget and a lot of priority issues. So it, it took a lot to get to where I think the legislature ended up this year. Um, things were much more cordial. They didn't mire their disagreements in, in health care. They tried to work through those. And the legislature was intent on passing a budget, which they did. They didn't adjourn early. And they passed a lot of their priority issues in the early stages of the session so that they didn't wait to the end. But in the area of health care, you know, I think that we, we made some great strides. And particularly, you know, here locally, you know, some of the things, and, and these aren't more, sp- this particular issue isn't specific to older adults, mm-hmm. but you know, when it comes to issues like mental health and substance abuse, uh, we've continued to work to try to get more beds to deal with individuals dealing with substance abuse and health care issues, which we were, again, successful in doing that. Adults with disabilities has been an issue that last year there was a significant amount that was vetoed from the budget, but we have a, an area here in Palm Beach County, the Palm Beach Habilitation Center, uh, that provides just some incredible services to adults with disabilities, and I've gotten much more intimately engaged with them over the last year since their funding was vetoed. And we were successful in getting full funding for the requests that they had this year. Mm-hmm. In addition, um, some of the, the PACE elderly programs mm-hmm. that they have for this county, we were able to increase by $5 million additional beds needed under um, that particular program. So, mm-hmm. yeah, Morse Life, who, who does um, some of the care 
uh, for some of the elderly individuals. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they have consistently put in different proposals each year, and uh, you know, they're just going to be able to to provide more services for different elderly residents that we have in Florida and particularly here in Palm Beach County. And the PACE stands for Program of All-Inclusive Care for the Elderly. So it just provides comprehensive medical, social services to some of the elderly individuals who have dual eligibility in in Medicare and Medicaid and will be helpful to expanding that program, which is really an excellent program here in Palm Beach County. And that's why they've consistently been recognized by the Florida legislature and have been able to get additional funding for bed slots for that particular program. Mm-hmm. I know that uh, the lawmakers approved and Governor Scott signed the guardianship bill, which is kind of a big deal. They blocked a proposal that would have made it costlier for patients to get copies of their medical records. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the lawmakers also included about $65 million to fund construction or rehabilitation of affordable housing for older adults, the homeless and persons with disabilities. What's missing that you'd like to see? And, of course, recognizing that this is all a give and take and every session is loaded with priorities that extend beyond older adults. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, I mean, one of the issues that you really hit on is that of affordable housing. And <clears throat> the legislature provided... $135.5 million for SHIP funds, which, you know, come back to communities for just that, for doing affordable housing. An additional $32 million plus for sale funding, which deals more with uh, helping on rentals. And, and so the providing opportunities for uh, individuals to be in affordable rental units as well. Mm-hmm. But overall, you know, we're going to see about a little over $8.7 million of that total coming back for affordable housing to Palm Beach County and four of our municipalities, Boca, Boynton, Delray, and West Palm Beach. And there was a time when about, oh, six, seven years ago, when you Palm Beach County, Florida, a lot of communities, it was incredibly unaffordable. And then we went through a decline in our economy, and the legislature looked at it and said, well, you know, the market's kind of corrected itself, and we've got plenty of affordable housing everywhere. And and we did. At, at that time, you, you can look up and down on all over Palm Beach County and find a lot of affordable opportunities for residents. But we're sort of back on the other side of that spectrum now where, you know, we've seen increases of property just going up tremendously over the past few years. Mm-hmm. And the opportunity to live or buy a home has started getting away from some people. And so we're going to see more attention placed on affordable housing initiatives and trying to do that. And I can tell you our new county administrator in Palm Beach County, who I work for, Virginia Baker, has been one of the strongest advocates for affordable housing um, in our community for decades. And I know it's a priority of hers. She's going to put a lot of emphasis on that, and she's going to do what she can to continue to push the envelope to make sure that you know we're not pricing people out of this market. It's great to build new residences and great condos that are expensive units and those kinds of things. But for your average working person in Palm Beach County or any community, you can't afford million-dollar condos or homes that are way above the average median of a home. Mm-hmm. And even the average median price sometimes is, is out of reach for a lot of working people in our community. So we need to figure out ways that we continue to provide those communities because, look, the more people that continue to move into South Florida and Palm Beach County, the increase in the services that we need to provide. 
And we've got to make sure that we balance those opportunities for people to be able to live and work and provide services in our community. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just, you know, it's just sort of sometimes just common sense that we've, we've got to make that work somehow. So, you know, there's always a delicate balance when people are coming in to develop new communities and, and new units. But uh, that's one of the challenges that we just need to continue to work through, not just for working people, but particularly for retirees and elderly who, who move to Florida to retire. You know, those are just the challenges that we always face and will continue to. Mm-hmm. On a slightly separate issue here, are you familiar with the Caregiver Advise, Record, Enable Act, the CARE Act? <clears throat> Uh, a little bit, but I'm not really keyed into all of the details of it. Okay. It uh, requires hospitals to record the name of the family caregiver on the medical record of the loved one and inform the family caregivers when the patient is supposed to be discharged and also provide the family caregiver with education and instruction of the medical mm-hmm. task he or she will need to perform for the patient at home. No state lawmaker in Florida has introduced the act, but 18 states have signed it into law, and it's either right. in effect or will be soon. Is there any chance that we can see somebody in Palm Beach County that might introduce this act? It's a small step forward. Quite frankly, I have not heard much about it in the halls of Tallahassee, but that doesn't mean that it's not an issue that's, that's not on people's minds. Every year, a member of the Florida House has opportunities to file up to six pieces of general bills. And in the Florida Senate, Senators essentially have an unlimited number of bills that they can file in any given year. So, you know, Florida's always good about looking around the country and seeing things that work or don't work and have modeled programs after that and oftentimes have been the leaders that we've seen other states pick up, you know, as well. So I think if it's a program that people feel like is working and has got some, you know, general consensus, uh, sure, I think there's an opportunity that you might see something like that in Florida in the future. But, okay, maybe I'll yeah. have to push that forward. Neither party in Florida creates a party platform, so uh, I was wondering if you knew whether either party has a resolution process that they use to vet issues of importance to the party. For You're talking ins- about the political parties in Florida? Yeah. Mm-hmm. What format does each party have to allow members to bring forward issues of importance to them? Mm-hmm. Well, these days I don't get as involved in party politics Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. just because, you know, in my role, I work with everybody. I work with everybody in the legislature, everyone in our community. I work with a board that consists of Democrats and Republicans. So for me, you know, I'm, I'm sort of colorblind when it comes to issues in terms of this party's pushing that or this one is there. I mean, I, I understand where they fall in the political spectrum all the time, but if it's important to the Board of County Commissioners and they ask us to move forward on it, uh, regardless of what it is, uh, that's what I do and that's what we do. Mm-hmm. But in terms of individuals wanting to engage on that level, there's different structures. You've got clubs throughout Palm Beach County that are set up regionally. So you you have mid-county and south county and county-wide clubs of the Democratic and Republican Party. They have opportunities to introduce resolutions there for submission on a party platform. The state parties have platforms that I think uh, individuals who are engaged can offer for consideration. So I would say that more often than you might think, there are resolutions and ideas coming from the political parties in the state of Florida to do that. But, you know, I think, look, we're in a very interesting political time right now. And clearly the presidential races and state races and the local races 
there's a lot of new interest in what's going on. There's a lot of new interest in candidates across the aisle. There's mm-hmm. a very strong group of independent and no party affiliated voters that mm-hmm. are out there uh, that, quite frankly, you know, are very engaged, are starting to get very engaged in elections, which I think is a good thing. I mean, look, the more people that are involved, whether it's a Republican, Democrat or different party or no party at all, is really just a benefit to what government does and how it operates because it just shows that more people are getting interested and more people are getting engaged on how their policymakers you know, spend tax dollars and how they look at broader policies. Mm-hmm. What misconceptions do you think people have about the legislative process? I think it's a source <laughs> of, of, of confusion for a lot of people about what exactly yeah. happens. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that one of the misconceptions that some people have about the legislative process is that politicians never get anything done. They just sort of talk and fight with each other a lot. And I think that it just depends on what level you look at. And unfortunately, you know, in Washington, D.C., things have been messy for a while up there. You see that you don't get a lot done on the face because there's just a lot of division over things and, you know, how bills come to the floor. But the reality is that they are doing work and they are getting things done. And when you start bringing it down to the next level and the next level of government, the state and the local governments, we sort of get cast in a similar light. And people don't realize that the state of Florida is passing a balanced budget every single year. They're passing significant policy changes every single year. They do it in a short time frame, usually during a 60-day session, But they're getting a tremendous amount of work done in the state of Florida, uh, both on policy and on on appropriation of the budget, that a lot of people fail to see because at a more national level, it just seems in a lot of disarray. And I think if you bring that even closer to the people at the county and the city municipal level, this is where the rubber meets the road. I mean, people wouldn't tolerate it if your city commissions, mayors, your county mayor and commission were completely dysfunctional and couldn't get things done. And that's what I see. I mean, I see that we get things done at the at the local level. We get things done at the state. The federal government does do things. You just don't see it just because of so much of the bickering. And, mm-hmm. and I think that is a misconception that mm-hmm. you know people don't see the sort of the product of their government at work because there is a tremendous amount that's always in motion every single year. Mm-hmm. So your advice to people who may feel frustrated by the pace of change in their state and in Washington? You know, you don't want to ever say to people, I'll be patient when there's important things that are important to them. But there's a process that's involved. And whether you like it or not, sometimes it's it's good. I mean, there's a lot of really bad stuff that gets proposed mm-hmm. in Tallahassee and Washington, D.C., that a lot of people probably don't want to see happen. And making laws is difficult for a reason. And it's because you really want to flush out those issues before you say this is the law of the land. And that's really one of the reasons why it is tough to change the law and it is tough um, to do those kinds of things. Because, you know, if it was easy to change the law, gosh, we'd have probably millions and millions of laws on the books that people's minds would be like, whoa, wait a second, what's going on here? So I think that recognizing that lawmaking is something that is difficult, that should be considerate of lots of points of views and very deliberate, 
is something that I think people should take into consideration as there's a good reason for that. And, and sometimes they should be very happy that things take a little more time and are a little bit more deliberate before they become law. Mm-hmm. Well, that sounds like a great note on which to end, unless you have any last thoughts for the listeners. Anything else um, you'd like to add? I appreciate it. I would just say to your listeners, you know, be engaged, get to know who your elected uh, representatives are at the federal, state, and local level. They're normal people just like everybody else, (laughs) and they've got ideas that are shaped in different ways just like everybody else. But if they don't hear from you and they don't hear from your point of view, they might miss some good opportunities to make some good things happen. And and really, it's the individuals and, and our society that are the ones that think of some of the really good ideas that end up, you know, moving forward. And uh, don't be bashful. Great. Todd Bonlaren, he's the former director of legislative affairs for Palm Beach County, about to be former, just named one of the three new assistant county administrators for Palm Beach County. Todd, thank you so much for being on the show. I really enjoyed chatting with you. Thank you. It's been my pleasure. Okay. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. And that's our show for today. Thanks for listening. I'd love to know what you thought of the episode. You can email me at jenna at agewise.com. That's A-G-E-W-Y-Z or Z, as my Canadian mother says. You can also find me online at agewise.com and listen to this podcast and lots of other fresh ones on the Speak Up Talk Radio Network, the 24-7 streaming and on-demand radio network that's always on for you. I'm Jana Panaritis. See you next time. Until then, age well, age wise.